Welcome to Encouraging Truths for Today. We're glad to bring you this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. Now please join us as we learn to grow deeper in our relationship with God and each other. We are continuing to look at God's spiritual armoring. In a moment, we're going to read through that list again. I don't think we can uh, reflect on it too much. But I just want us to walk through the picture here that the Apostle Paul has painted with his pen. He has told us to put on the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the footwear of the gospel of peace. We are to take the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation. If the list were to stop there, there's something that is blatantly missing. Everything is defensive at that point. It's to protect us. But in God's grace, he has given us one item in this armor to empower us. One offensive weapon, and that is the one we're going to focus on today, the sword of the Spirit, and this particular item is defined for us, which is the Word of God. So let's look together at Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, we're going to begin reading in verse 10 and read through verse 17. We focus on God's spiritual armory, the sword of the Spirit. Ephesians 6, we'll begin reading in verse 10. <clears throat> Finally, my brethren... Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or schemes or devices of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of of God. Let's pray together. Father, we do pause to thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that you use it and 
in so many ways in our lives. So, Father, today I pray you'd give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to obey. So, Father, I pray that you would please speak to us from your word today. Because unless you speak, I have nothing at all to say. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we've already referred to these pieces of armor that God has given us for our defense, each one of them is strategically designed by God to defend you and I in battle. We have everything necessary to go into spiritual battle with God there with us and to face anything Satan throws at us God is super abundantly sufficient for our defense through these items of spiritual armor. But I want to remind you, it is not designed for display. Most of the suits of armor that you and I have seen have been simply on display if we saw them in person or in some dramatic expression uh, they are worn But I want to remind you that each of these pieces of armor are built for battle. They're not designed for display, but they are built for battle, and they have weathered every battle they have ever faced in every believer's life. And so, considering them being built for battle, so also is the sword of the Spirit. Something very interesting here about the armor as well before we begin to look more deeply. This is not original, and you've heard this before, but there's nothing to protect our back. Everything is in a posture of offense, not retreat. All of the armor is there to help us move forward not to turn and run. This is how William Grinnell says it. Armor is designed for those going into battle. God provides armor to defend the Christian while fighting, not to protect him while retreating. God makes no provision for cowardice. What a vivid image. But have we not seen in our day a lot of retreating? A lot of people running with the culture and and turning and running away from God and, and trying to get out of the battle when in reality this is the time to stand therefore armed with the spiritual armor. There have been too many casualties. There have been too many who tried to retreat and that's the most deadly move we can make spiritually. So nothing protects us from behind. Everything is a sense of moving forward. But the the beauty of the picture here is the, the greater the battle, the richer the blessing. Have you not found that true in your life? Without the battle, many times there is no blessing. 
I would suggest that you review your spiritual life if you were a Christian and, and begin to look at the times where you would say, well, well, that's where I really grew. That's where I, I had a growth spurt spiritually, and I, I sensed the closeness of God. Most of the occasions in my life were not mountain peak experiences at a camp or a concert, but they were down in the depths where I was battling for my faith and I was trying to stand strong amidst depression and struggle and facing opposition and all that was going on in that sense seemed so out of control, but there was a rich blessing because God had equipped me to be on the front line of battle in a front row seat to watch his activity. And I would suggest that on many occasions the same is true of you. So let's look at a very practical sense at Ephesians 6, 17. We have taken the helmet of salvation that covers our present and our future aspect of salvation. And then it says, and take the sword of the Spirit. First thing I would encourage you with today is do not forget the sword. Do not forget the sword. Now, if you were facing an enemy and they only had one weapon to use against you, would you not do everything you could to distract them and try to get them to fight you in another way. That makes perfect sense, doesn't it? If someone is armed better than you, you would challenge them to a, a battle that would even the plane and the battlefield. The one thing that Satan wants you to do is in this suiting up for battle is to forget the sword. But you can't forget the sword. That is your only weapon. That is the greatest reminder of the presence of God and his power in this battle. So don't forget the sword. What does that mean? Don't start a day without having the sword in hand, without having the sword in your heart and in your head. Don't forget the sword. You can't afford to live a day without the sword of the Spirit with you. That's why it is imperative that we remember daily to spend time in God's Word. The sword is a necessity. It's our only offensive weapon, as we've said. The sword is not optional, it's mandatory. Regardless of how protected we are, we are defenseless without the sword. But Satan will do everything he can to get you to forget your sword. I want you to turn back there a couple of books to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. Here the Apostle Paul as an experienced spiritual warrior, begins to talk about the nature of this spiritual battle, battle and warfare that we face. 
And then he gives a, a statement there that is so crucial when we think about the sword of the Spirit. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. What he is saying is, since we are human beings and we are made of flesh and blood, we have to choose not to war as simple human beings would battle. It's kind of the same statement he makes in Ephesians 6. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, and then he talks about the spiritual nature of the warfare. So he says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or of the flesh, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. See the picture there is? If it's a spiritual battle, you've got to use spiritual weapons. So he says, we don't war according to the flesh, but our weapons are not of the flesh, but they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, for casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, here's something that is a dire mistake with the sword of the Spirit. You tend to think that you use that sword only on the enemy. But the picture here is the first line of battle is with yourself. Isn't that true spiritually? The one that has the greatest influence apart from God on whether you are a victor or a victim in spiritual battle is you. Why is that true? Well, just read this focusing on yourself. For the weapons of our warfare, for instance, the sword of the Spirit, are mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. Now, what would be a stronghold? Well, that is a place that is under the containment of an enemy that has been well-walled and protected and under their control. Have you or have you not ever dealt with a stronghold in your life where the enemy took you captive? You bought the lie. You followed the course of the world. You lived according to the flesh, and you experienced that immediate somewhat of gratification, and you thought, well, well, this is good, only to find that it became a stronghold in your life. How do you defeat a stronghold? With the sword of the Spirit. You get God's perspective on it. You begin to 
confess your sin to God and agree with him that what you're doing is wrong and that he is right and you turn from your sin and and he cuts you loose from that stronghold and it's a beautiful experience isn't it in your life then it also casts down arguments have you ever been involved in a spiritual argument in your own mind You're trying to argue and and rationalize and and trying to make what's wrong feel more right, or you're trying to justify your lifestyle, and, and you're arguing in your mind about all that. Well, the way to stop the arguing and to silence the voices in your mind is to pick up the sword. And the sword cuts away and casts out those arguments, Then have you not experienced something or someone in your life trying to usurp Jesus' place on the throne of your heart? Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. That can be a, a relationship, it can be a possession. It can be a a mindset, an attitude, a habit that seeks to exalt itself against the knowledge of God. So who shapes your mindset? Whose knowledge do you value? If you value the knowledge of anything or anyone more than God, then that is a high thing that is exalting itself against the knowledge of God. You know, one of the highest things that exalts itself against the knowledge of God? You're going to giggle, but I'm going to say Google. There are people who look to Google and not to God. Google is not all-knowing. Google does not have all the answers. I'm just using that as an example. If you're looking to Facebook for your well-being and your, your sense of meaning and purpose with how many likes you get or how many silly laughing faces you can prompt, it's exalting itself against the knowledge of God. And then it says it brings every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You know how to keep out of the captivity of Satan? Bring every thought into captivity with Christ through spiritual weapons, the primary one being the Word of God. It doesn't take long for our mindship for our mindset to shift, does it? Uh, Don't you catch yourself saying to yourself, why am I thinking like that? Why would I want to respond like that? It's because all of these things are coming against the Word of God, and the Word of God is to set our minds on the things of God that we reflect Christ in all that we do. All other weapons that are of a carnal nature are inferior inadequate, ineffective for the battle. There is no 
satisfactory substitute for the sword of the Spirit. You never outgrow the Word of God. What would you think if, if I said, well, you know, I've, I've been a Christian all these years. I have been preaching for going on, I'm moving toward 40 years of preaching. I, I've got degrees from studying the Bible. You know, I probably could do it without that. I, I know enough now. You know what I just said? Here I am, Satan, come and get me. I am vulnerable. I'm walking into battle without a weapon. And so there's no one that is exempt from a need for the Word of God. Don't forget the sword. That sounds so simple, but isn't it a daily battle? But then the next thing is, don't just remember it, but pick up the sword. Pick it up. Don't just have it prominently placed here in your living room or in your bedroom or in your car or on your dash so that the weather wears it out to where it looks like it's well used. Don't just have it, but, but pick it up. Pick up your sword. To have the best sword in your sheath is not good enough. You've got to pick it up and be ready for battle. Pick up your sword. There was a little girl who was kind of puzzled by this big Bible on the coffee table in their home. She asked her dad, whose book is that? He said, well, that's God's book. She said, well, Daddy, we probably should give it back to him since we don't use it. Charles Spurgeon said, a person whose Bible is falling apart indicates their life is not. Isn't that a great picture? Pick up the sword. You, you may feel so vulnerable. You may be overwhelmed. Satan will convince you that you have no hope and you have no help, and, and you can begin to believe that lie. But once you pick up the sword, it makes all the difference in the world. The Word of God is the answer. Remember what it says in Psalm 119, 105? Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Without the sword in hand, I'm just like walking in darkness and disoriented in life. But with the word of God in hand, I have light upon my circumstances. I have light upon my heart. I have light shining upon my mind. And I have great hope and great help because of the word of God. And it's not like the flashlights in our homes that are used to store dead batteries. It's not that at all. These words come alive in our lives and they light our way. But the reality is, if you want the Word of God to be in you, then you have to be in the Word of God. There's a similar picture in a 
Hebrews chapter 4. Go to the right there. Begin to move toward the back of the Bible. Hebrews chapter 4. We have the first part of this verse up here. For the word of God is living and active. You'll never read another book that is living and active. It may have a reflection of light if it's written about the Bible, but only this book is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Think about the last time you were reading Scripture and you thought, this almost seems like God knows what I'm thinking. You know, this book, you might have thought, sounds like it was written today. Have we not changed? But one thing is, the Word of God hasn't changed. It pierces even to the thoughts and the intents of the heart. You may think you are original in your sin. Well, just pick up the sword and it'll do spiritual surgery on you. It's like a scalpel in the hand of a surgeon. Surgeons use scalpels sometimes to remove something. Has the Word of God not done that in your life? Remove thoughts and intents in your heart. Sometimes it's used to repair something, and at other times it's used to replace something. God is sovereign. He knows what you're thinking before the thought ever finishes playing out in your mind. Before it ever enters there, it pierces even to the division of your your thoughts and the intents of your heart. Pick up the sword. What if daily we picked up the Bible and said, Father, I position myself here before you. I open your word. Would you please do spiritual surgery on my life? Would you remove anything that displeases you from my heart and my mind? Would you repair any wound that I am nursing in my life where I might become bitter? Would you come and, and, and replace this heart of wickedness with a heart of purity and tenderness towards you? Would you just do spiritual surgery on me? Don't forget the sword. A few summers ago, we spent the summer focusing on John Bunyan's classic work from the 1600s, The Pilgrim's Progress. 
He goes to the spiritual armory on his journey from the city of destruction to the celestial city, you may recall. And, and as he's journeying in this allegory of the Christian faith, he, he gets to this beautiful place that has an armory. And there he's taken in there and told, everything you'll need for the battles you will face, you will find here. Having rested well and recouped for a while, he begins his journey now armed for battle, and he goes down into a valley where he encounters an opponent named Apollyon. You remember the picture there, Apollyon is stronger and fiercer than any opponent he will ever face. It's such a graphic image of the vicious, venomous enemy that we face in Satan. And he comes after Apollyon in a grievous rage, it says. This is what he says there in the Pilgrim's Progress to Christian. I am an enemy of this prince, speaking of Jesus. I hate his person, his laws, and his people. I am come out on purpose to withstand you. Christian replies, Apollyon, beware what you do, for I am in the king's highway, the way of holiness. Therefore, take heed to yourself. Apollyon straddles the breadth of the way, it says. And he responds to Christian by saying, I am void of fear in this matter. Prepare yourself to die, for I swear by my infernal den that you shall go no further. Here will I spill your soul. And with that, he threw a flaming dart at Christian's breast, but Christian had a shield in his hand with which he caught it and prevented the danger of it. Then Christian drew for what he saw was time to bestir him, and Apollyon, as fast as he could, began to hurl more and more darts, wounding Christian in the head and his hand and his foot. This knocked Christian a little back, it says. Apollyon followed his work furiously. But Christian again took courage and resisted as manfully as he could. This combat lasted for about half a day, even until Christian was almost full spent. For you should know, by reason of his wounds, he grew weaker and weaker. Apollyon, seeing his opportunity, began to gather up close to Christian and wrestling with him, gave him a dreadful fall, and with that, Christian's sword flew out of his hand. Then Apollyon said to Christian, I am sure of you now. And with that, he had almost pressed him to death so that Christian began to despair of life but as God would have it, while Apollyon was fetching his last blow, therefore to make a full end of the good man Christian, 
he reached out his hand for his sword and caught it, saying, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. And with that, he gave a deadly thrust into Apollyon. And then Christian, once again, perceiving that he had wounded him with a mortal wound, shouted to Apollyon, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And with this, Apollyon spread forth his dragon's wings and sped away that Christian for a season season saw him no more. Isn't that a great image? of spiritual battle. James chapter 4, it says, if we draw near to God, God will draw near to us, and we can resist the devil, and the devil will flee from us. It's not that he's no match for us, but he is no match for our God who has equipped us for battle and armed us for battle. Pick up the sword. It would be my prayer that those words would ring in your ear when you feel like you're down for the count. You would hear not me saying this, but the Holy Spirit saying this, pick up the sword. Or if you're in the depths of depression and you're disoriented to the ways of God, it would be my prayer that you would hear the very voice of God in your heart saying, pick up the sword. Or if you are at wit's end and you don't know how life is going to come back together, would you hear God saying to you, pick up the sword? If we were there on the sidelines of the king's highway and we saw Christian in that battle, would not we have been tempted to say, oh, Christian, Christian, pick up the sword? That's the message today, Christian. Pick up the sword. It's your only weapon. It's your only hope. Pick up the sword. But then thirdly, we have to tighten our grip on the sword. To hold it loosely is to fail. So thirdly, tighten your grip on the sword. Don't forget the sword. Pick up the sword, but then begin to tighten your grip on the sword. You will never master this book, but oh, how this book can master you. The picture here is not, have you been through the Bible, but has the Bible been through you? Tighten your grip on the sword. You might ask, well, how do I tighten my grip on the sword? I'm glad you asked that. One is by hearing the word of God. What we're doing today, we are opening the word and you are hearing it proclaimed. We are hearing it in a group setting. This is not all that we're to do, but it's a primary thing we're to do because as we hear the word preached, we can be affirmed, assured, and held accountable by our fellow believers what we have heard from the word of God. It would bring joy to my heart if you came and said, I was at a bad spot in my life, and somebody just put their arm around me and said, hey, brother or sister, you just need to pick up the sword. Don't give it up. We encourage one another having heard the Word of God, but then we read the Word of God. 
Haven't you found that hearing something is good, but hearing and then reading something is even better? But, but what goes even beyond the hearing and the reading? That's the doing of the Word. So you hear it. A pastor was in a restaurant, and he was there earlier than usual, and the man that greeted him there said, is the sermon already done? And the pastor said, it's preached. I don't know if it's been done yet. You remember James 1.22 says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. We're warned right after that if, if someone comes and puts themselves before the word and they, they pick it up and they read it and they walk away without doing the word, they're like someone who looks in the mirror and sees their image and walks away forgetting what manner of person they really were. Be honest with me. Have you had to look back in the mirror to see something that you failed to look at when you went there to look at it the first time? But when you do the word... You are staring into the window of the Word. The mirror of the Word is reflecting to you who you are and how you need to change and what you need to do. And to be a doer of the Word rather than a hearer of the Word is the beginning of the blessing of God in your life. It's by knowing the Word of God that we get to know the God of the Word. We learn of His ways and His will, and we learn how to worship Him. And in order to stand on the Word, we must stay in the Word. In Psalm 119, again, it says, How shall a man cleanse his way? How do you do that? On Psalm 119, 9 through 12, it says this. How can a young man cleanse his way? Here's the answer. By taking heed according to the word. The psalmist says, with my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandment. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Have you ever said to God with your Bible closed, God, please give me wisdom? You know what his response could, could be? I already have. You just have to pick up the word and tighten your grip. God, give me direction in my life. Well, pick up the word. I put it in your hands. Open the word and, and direction is there. God, I need healing in my life. I've provided it in my word, he could say. You see, when you grip the word tightly, God moves mightily in your life. So those are the commands I would draw from that simple command of take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Don't forget the sword. Pick up the sword, tighten your grip on the sword, and finally, wield the weapon of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit. 
The Spirit of God and the Word of God bring the power of God to the people of God in the midst of the battle for God. Satan wants to keep you off your knees and out of this book. That's where he wants to defeat you. He wants to cut off your communication with God and God's communication with you. But I would encourage you to wield the weapon that God has given you, the weapon of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit. Do you know God has promised to bless His Word in our lives? There's no other book that we have that promise for. There's no other place that we can find the power that rests upon the Word of God. God's book... In God's battle brings God's blessing. Jesus is our example. Remember when he was tempted? Three exemplary ways he was tempted in Luke 4 and Matthew 4. The picture is there. Each time he said, it is written. He quoted scripture. Now just think about what the apostle Paul was saying when he says this is the sword of the spirit. It tells us that Jesus entered in the wilderness, having been filled with the Spirit, or the Spirit resting upon him in the form of a dove. Then he leaves the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. In Luke, it has those bookends on the story. What's he doing in the midst of all of that? If you are full and guided and empowered by the Spirit, what's going to be dear to your heart? The sword of the Spirit. What was the sword in Jesus' day and in Paul's day? The Old Testament. That was the Bible they were referring to, the Old Testament. Not to be neglected, not to be pushed aside. The, the Old Testament is just as sharp as the New Testament. It's, it's the sword of the Spirit they were referring to. Now, look at how we have this double-edged sword, so to speak, with the Old and the New Testament in our lives. We are fully equipped for battle. We, we have the revelation of God in our hands. We have God's book going into God's battle and with his blessing resting upon us. And just like Jesus, we should respond to temptation with it is written. Just picture Jesus with the sword saying it is written. Cutting away at the temptation in his life. So how do you apply a message like this? Let me give you three ways. Number one, as you read the Word of God and you are aware of your own heart revealed in the Word of God and God is giving you hope and help from His Word in the battle, I would encourage you to find a portion of that passage and memorize it. You may have what the Bible calls a besetting sin, a recurring sin. It sometimes it's a secret sin. Find a, a passage that deals with that. Dig into that, take a portion of it, and memorize it. Why? Because you won't always have this in your hand. There will be occasions you'll be at work or at school, and you don't actually have the Bible in your hand, but if you have it in your heart, you take it everywhere. There is no place that they will ever be able to say, you can't bring the Word of God in here in your heart. <laughs> I can bring it anywhere I want to in my heart. Memorize it. 
You might say, well, I can't memorize Scripture. Has anybody ever asked you for a recipe and you told them exactly how to do it, how much to put in there? Guys, you're smiling at your wives. Let me ask you a question. Has anybody ever asked you about a sporting event or a sporting team and you could tell the batting averages or how many fumbles the Cowboys have this year or whatever that stat might be? Threw in the Cowboys there just to let a brother know I love him. We're able to quote all this other stuff. Why not the Word of God? God never promised to help you remember a recipe or directions somewhere or stats to a sporting event. He has promised to bless the memorizing of His Word. Just pick a portion, begin small, read large, memorize small, and then you're able to meditate on it and it becomes a part of you so you memorize it. Secondly, personalize it. Begin to take that that you've memorized, begin to personalize it to your life and your situation. How do you personalize it? The first way is in prayer. You begin to pray that back to the Lord. Father, help me today to set a guard over my lips. God, help me today to not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. But may I delight in your word. You just begin to talk to God from his word to him. You use his vocabulary to talk to him. Personalize it. Begin to apply it. You know what the Holy Spirit does? He'll apply it to your heart. When I memorize some verses out of 2 Timothy, I've shared this with you before. It has spared me so much grief in my life and ministry when when I wanted to, to react and lash out at someone who was lashing out at me. That word has cut through that and said, have nothing to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they create quarrels and strife and the servant of God must not be quarrel but kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Was I completely over the fit I wanted to throw? No. But he spared the eruption there kept my heart pure at times. Memorize it. Personalize it. And then utilize it. Share it with someone. Someone might say, you know, I struggle with this. Hey, I do too, but you know what I found? I found this verse in the Bible that has helped me. Or someone says, will you pray for me? And it's something that you know a scripture about. You just say, yes, here's how I'm going to pray for you. They might even say, well, that's a beautiful prayer. Well, don't tell me, tell God. That's his word. Memorize it. Personalize it. Utilize it. Now, all of you may not have watched Andy Griffith show. There is a character who is the deputy, Barn, Barney. He is highly overconfident and highly underadequate for his job. But he's Andy's cousin, and he's cutting him some breaks. If you've ever watched the Andy Griffith show, you, you, you've seen those scenes where they're, they're coming up on a bad guy, and, 
And, and Barney has his gun, but he, he doesn't have his bullet because his bullet goes crazy places because he is a bumbling deputy. So he stores the bullet for his gun in his pocket that has a button on it for the security of all of the citizens of Mayberry. The only one safe would be the one he was aiming at. So he's sneaking up on the bad guy. He wrestles his gun out of his holster. He remembers he needs his bullet, and he starts fumbling for it. He reaches over and picks up the bullet, puts it in his gun, finally gets in there and turns, and you know what's pointed right at his nose? The bad guy's gun. Well, he's winning awards for this show. They can't let him be hurt, so Andy always saves the day and makes Barney think that he did it. Well, here's the picture. Many of us suffer from Barney Fifitis. We have the word. We, we may even be fairly familiar with it, but we haven't tightened our grip. We haven't memorized it, personalized it, and are ready to utilize it. And when Satan begins to come against us, we panic. We think, oh, what, what do I do? What do I do? Well, if you had memorized and personalized, you would be able to utilize the Word of God to cut out and cut into the temptations that we face. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The promise is if you fill your mind with His Word, the Holy Spirit can bring up whatever you've put in there just when you need it. Let's pray together. We would like to thank you for joining us for this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. First Baptist desires to be a house of prayer with a heart for people, making a difference by making disciples from our neighborhood to the nations. If you would like more information about this ministry, please visit www.firstcrockett.org. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you.